Happy Labor Day, everyone. Welcome back to Pod on You Loons. Justin is out today. He has his first day of school tomorrow, so he's busy preparing for that. But it's all good because I have our good friends of the show, Jeremy and James, who are back with me, substituting for Justin. How are you guys? Doing great. How's you, how's it going? It's doing good. Uh, I think I, I speak for both of us, Jeremy. We should probably both be working on the school year starting okay. tomorrow, too. <laughs> I also have school tomorrow, um, but I'm on this podcast instead of pretending like I have too much work to do. Yep. <laughs> well, pot on your loons. I don't have school tomorrow, so I'm good. But uh, it's good to be back. How, uh, how are you guys uh, getting ready for the school year, apart from doing this? obviously. Well, Sam, what are you guys doing? I haven't heard for what you guys are doing yet. God, it changes so much. I Overall, I feel like our governor's done a pretty good job during coronavirus, but him just at the end of July announcing that he was going to let school districts decide what they're going to do has just created a giant mess in the metro. I get how if you live outside of the metro where there's a much smaller amount of cases, I get that that might be in your best interest to have that sort of a statement from him. But what it's created in the Metro, being a smaller school, like being a small independent charter school, we're just watching what other schools are doing. So as other schools change their mind, we have to change our mind too to match them. So like we started the year saying we are going to do hybrid, have our kids half and half. And then a bunch of schools around us said that they were going to close and do distance learning. So then we switched to that. But then a couple of those schools said, oh, never mind. So like, we're just so in limbo. And I've had to rewrite our school's plan so many times. It's it's actually really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in the same boat. We went hybrid. We were going to do hybrid for two weeks to teach kids how to use the programs and then then go full distance. And then we got a couple cases actually at our school. And so then we changed and we're going to go full distance like right away. But then we kind of realized like the kids don't know how to use the programs yet. And they haven't been, some of them don't even have their materials yet. So now we're doing middle schools full distance starting tomorrow. So I'm, I'm distance. I'm, I'm working from home starting tomorrow, but our K through four is now doing a hybrid model for the next month. And then after that, they will um, go to distance starting October 2nd, I believe. It's just been like, there's no, you know, luckily working in the charter school world, stability is not really a thing you get used to. So like, (laughs) I'm just used to things changing around me all the time. So to me, it's just like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Maybe I have to go to work tomorrow. I don't know. (laughs) This is like perfect for you almost because you're like, ah, this is kind of what I do anyway. Like, yep. (laughs) Easy. Well, and we started the school year actually last week, and we started all with distance. And basically, the weekend leading up, 90% of my time was just talking to parents on the phone, telling them how to get into their student's Google account, right? Giving them the username and password. We had a document, but I guess not all of them um, either received that document or were able to figure it out from there. Well, Once the kids were trying to log in, 90% of my time now was teaching them how to find the Google Meet link up, right? Like the Google Meet invite, either within their calendar or we started having our teachers 
email it out. And actually, we even started posting the URLs on the website. The problem with that is those Google Meet URLs change all the time to prevent you, you know people from getting in that aren't supposed to be there. So it was just a giant mess. Uh, it probably took until Wednesday for parents to kind of finally realize how to get their kids into Google Meet on a daily basis. So thankfully that all we were able to all figure that out and parents were able to get their kids get their kids in. That was pretty awesome of them. And well and for us, I mean I think most people assume the school year just starts for everyone on Tuesday. We've been back for two weeks actually. And so like I think it's great that we don't have that pressure of like having to get it right on day one. Like we had like two weeks of trial to like work out some of the bugs and the kinks and figure out what's wrong. So in a lot of ways, I feel like we're ahead of the game. I feel like a lot of the districts are going to experience some issues that they didn't really necessarily prepare for. You know, it's it's different, right? Like we kind of got thrown into this at the end of last year. So it was sort of like the wild, wild west. Like you could right. whatever you whatever you could throw against the wall and make stick. But now you have to like really be intentional. So I think it's going to be fine. I think that the people who have a negative outlook on the distance learning aren't giving our kids enough credit. Like right. kids are resilient. Kids are smart. Hell, half of them know how to use the technology better than we do. So like, <laughs> I think they'll be very successful. Well, that that's what I said to our teachers. I said, your kids are having trouble logging into logging into this. But here's the thing. Like if you were telling them this is how they log into a Fortnite tournament, like they would have figured it out. Right. So we're, we're holding yeah. their hands, helping them get logged into all of this. But if if we were telling them, OK, you need to log into TikTok now they would have figured that out. We wouldn't have had to give them step-by-step instructions. They would have been motivated enough to figure it out. <laughs> are, you, are you saying these kids are more interested in games and social media than, than learning? I I find that hard to believe. So James, you, you know, what's life like over there? Like the big CF here, but like I saw you were, you were able to just go on a vacation. You went on a vacation to a city. Like here, when people go on vacations, they're going up north. They're going into the middle of nowhere you went actually to a big city like what what's life like over there yeah like um i just went to another dutch city for the weekend um so like we stayed at a hotel and there was social distancing and hand sanitizer everywhere and you know when you did breakfast everything was set out so you couldn't be next to other people and yeah i mean we don't even technically have to wear face masks out and about over here like i do because yeah i just feel it's probably a better idea but yeah, you can just walk into stores without face masks or anything over here. But actually, kids went back to school today. So I was talking to a colleague and, and her daughter came home from school. And yeah, they're just kind of in classrooms at the moment. And they go every day? I believe so. I don't know if uh, I don't know if it's it's either every day or every other day. Like they're either being all together or they're split into two groups. So they'll do like half the kids on a Monday, half the kids on a Tuesday, for example. So are people, is it, is it because you just have such a lower amount of cases that people aren't as worried anymore? Like, what is the reasoning for you guys to be able to relax in ways that we can't? Yeah, I think like we probably have about 4,000 cases a week at the moment, which is quite high for us at the moment. Like it's spiked recently. I lost track about how many cases you guys have a week, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those things where 
probably more people need to take care, but I think it's that people are also at the point that they've had so long in lockdown and they've had so long where, you know, they haven't been able to do the things that they want to do that they're just kind of going out and about and just doing it now. Like in public transport, you still have to wear a mask all the time. That's the only place where it's like compulsory sure. as public transport because you're all enclosed in this space. But yeah, I think people are just at the point where they just don't really care a lot at the moment, which is not so wow. great. But you're, I, yeah, I always wear a mask, so it doesn't really like yeah, I want to be safe. <laughs> it almost sounds like America over there. Jim. Yeah, I was going to say. Because <laughs> as a side point, how many cases are you guys on a week now? Roughly, do you know, or, or a day, if you're still that many? I don't know. Too I'd many. have to look a at it. I mean, the way you said it, where you were just like, I stopped keeping track. It's, I don't, I don't know. It becomes white noise. You're just, you hear so many people died. So many people got the Corona. Like you just, you stop keeping track. I mean, for us, like we've kind of become like percentage guidelines now at this point, because for education, there are certain standards in terms of percentages in your district or in your community, where if, if that percentage reaches that threshold, of cases, then you're supposed to go to a certain model for teaching, right? So like, I think like where we're at right now in the the district that I work in, we're at like 23%. And and that's out of like a thousand or something crazy like that. Like 23% of people have Corona? Now that I'm just like, (laughs) okay. I was going to say, we'll fact check that one. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's like 23 cases per 1000 is what the, okay. So you're at like 2.3%. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. It was like one in four people have Corona. <laughs> one really? in four, but, yeah. We lose count, you know, <laughs> we're literally like okay. selling it at the grocery store. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. 2.3%. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's still a lot though. Like let's not, let's not count that out. All right, well, let's get into some Minnesota United news. Uh, We'll actually start with something not related to Minnesota United, though there were some fun, clever Twitter posts of announce Messi already, announce Messi already. But Messi announced that he is staying with Barcelona. So I actually have a question about this because like, I, I found this a little shady, to be honest. I feel like Barcelona was bullied by, it's La Liga, right? The name of the yeah, like I feel like La Liga essentially said, like, no, Messi's staying in La Liga. You're not moving him, and that's the end of this conversation. It felt very like they got bullied into keeping Messi. Yeah, it's a weird one. This one, like, it it might be because so like so originally what was happening was apparently he was going to sign for like. The, the people who own Manchester City own a group of football clubs around the world. And, including NYCFC. Yeah, including NYCFC. And the plan was that he was going to go on a five-year deal, three of which was to Man City in the Premier League, and then the last two would be with NYCFC. Because he would basically sign for the group that owns them rather than an actual club. And then... Uh, it kind of all came last minute that actually, after emergency discussions with Barcelona, uh, he was going to stay at Barcelona and like nothing's changing and the status quo is going to remain the same. Well, so quite possibly. 
why <laughs> I read something about like them flying his father in for like discussions yep. and like whatever. Like why why is his dad involved? Is his dad his agent or are they I think like that, I always thought his dad was his agent, right? Okay, is that yeah? I think his dad's his manager. Yeah. Okay, that wasn't made clear in the article, so I'm just like. Like, why do they need his dad's permission? He's like a 30-year-old <laughs> man. <laughs> just just got his dad in there like, yeah, bring it in, bring it in. <laughs> Still not allowed to do anything without his dad. No, I'm pretty sure his, uh, his dad's his manager, so yeah, that's why. So is that something, though, like, do leagues have that power over teams and to, like, persuade or highly encourage them not to get rid of players it just felt i don't know it felt weird because right after that came out that all of a sudden messi was staying like right after you know la liga talked to barcelona messi wasn't going anywhere so it just felt yeah so basically it's all around like it's basically around his 700 million euro buyout clause and basically he wanted to leave and it was all around whether his buyout clause would be enacted or not. And La Liga basically said that the clause is not valid when the termination of the contract is by the player's unilateral decision. Like he can't have someone pay that release clause if it's him wanting to leave by himself. So if he basically says, I want to leave and Barcelona says, no, then no one can pay that payout clause. So in order to avoid all this legal kind of dispute and going to courts and all that kind of stuff, he's basically just staying at Barcelona. That's why. City's owners probably could and would pay the payout clause mm-hmm. if financial fair play wasn't actually a thing. Like financial fair play didn't step in earlier for City, but they probably would for $700 million, right? Because they have trillions in the bank. So yeah. 700 million pocket change yeah (laughs) and and kind of the other thing as well is like he did have an early termination contract which would have allowed him to leave for free but he had to communicate the decision by the end of may this year which was the original end of the season so because the end of the season then got pushed back technically that clause didn't get pushed back so then that's the that's the kind of legal thing is whether his allowance for a free transfer should have been at the end of the actual season or at the end of what should have been the end of the season. So that's kind of... And just for clarity's sake, are we going to be hearing about the Minnesota United FC messy deal as long as... (laughs) I just want (laughs) to... For the next 25 episodes. Messi is coming, right? Like that's happening. (laughs) messy to the loons that's what boca and english twitter is saying so okay i just want to make sure (laughs) all right let's let's move on let's move away from messy so there was some speculation minnesota united fc would be interested in bringing back former goalkeeper vito minone however reports are now suggesting that he is headed to play in the turkish super league Ethan Finlay, it was announced last night during the game against RSL that he has a meniscus issue of some kind that will likely keep him out multiple weeks. And then wrapping up the news, Ford Madison won 4-0 at New England Revolution 2 last Friday. St. Paul native Mike Vang 
scored again in this game. So after missing the first three games of the season, Vang has been in the lineup the past four games. During those first three games, forward Madison only scored one goal total. But in the past four, since Vang has been in the lineup, Ford Madison has outscored their opponents 12 to 2. So keep it going, Mike Vang. Hopefully, Emmanuel Reynoso contributes to some Minnesota goal scoring the same way that you have for Ford Madison. And then we'll just cap things off with the English Premier League returns on the 12th. So this upcoming weekend, we invite all of our listeners to come play some fantasy Premier League with us. James is in the league. I'm in the league. Nate's in the league. Jeremy, you in the league yet? I'm planning on getting in there today. I keep forgetting about it. But yeah, hello. You know, I got like 43 fantasy leagues that I deal with. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) he's not exaggerating. Is that the actual? Uh, The actual now? The number is 45, counting my best balls. So, like, I have like probably 38 leagues that I actually have to check lineups for every week. And that's just. Wow. Fantasy football, NFL. Yeah. Uh, that's that's not baseball. No, not counting baseball. I only okay. have one baseball league, and that's too many. Okay. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> Even Justin's in there, man, and he's got a lot of he's got a lot of schoolwork to do. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that just just to clarify, you don't have to draft with us. So you 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 don't have to. You can make it work into your schedule. It's a salary cap league. Just that's the traditional way to play fantasy Premier League. You you pick your team according to a budget and you update your lineup as you see fit. I mean, if someone as busy as Justin can manage to get his lineup set, <laughs> you can too. Yeah, it's a hundred million. You know this. You know you you got time. <laughs> All right, moving on from the news. Minnesota United played at Houston on Wednesday, September second. We have not recorded a podcast since then. We probably don't really want to talk about this game, but we can just touch on it quick. We won't make you listen to too much of it because it was ugly. The lineup was a 4-3-3. Ranjit Singh in the goal, Gasper, Boxall, Musa in for Aha, and Matinair at defense. Dotson, Gregish, and Harrison in the midfield. Ludd, Edwards, and then Toy up on top. Of course, both Christian Ramirez and Darwin Quintero, former Loons, former beloved Loons, both started for Houston following a performance against Sporting Kansas City, which saw three goals between the two of them. Guys, I really don't want to talk too much about this. James, were you able to catch that game all the way over there? Uh, I caught the MLS 15 highlights, which was rough enough, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I watched this game, and I guess... And I, it actually kind of goes back to the Dallas game as well. Like, what is going on with Metinair? I felt like constantly Houston was just coming down on that right side and Metinair was just like out of position consistently. Like consistently letting guys get behind him. And just it felt like the goals in the Dallas game as well as the Houston game, most of them were set up because Metinair was not where he needed to be. I'm not sure. Fast forward to last night, he looked significantly better. Right. But yeah, you're you're right. I mean, those past two games, we're used to Matinair being pretty consistently great. Probably the only time last year that he had any drop in form was after the African Cup of Nations. But other than that, we've we've gotten used to him being consistently great. We've really been spoiled. But his form was off, and I think he would be the first to admit that. 
Probably what bothered me the most was just this pattern of Minnesota United starting so slow and so sloppy. So like in the first 10 minutes, they only had 21% possession and incredibly sloppy passing already within those first 10 minutes, they allowed two shots on target. You know, fortunately, Houston wasn't able to capitalize on that. But then Quintero got his by the 28th minute. Quintero's on the score sheet. It just slow starts. And they these slow starts cause Minnesota to play differently. Because Minnesota doesn't typically lead in possession, even the games in which they look great. They're typically losing the possession battle because that's not the kind of team. They're, they're not worried about possession. They're absorbing the pressure and then they counterattack. But when you're losing, you can't play that way. So these slow starts have just doomed Minnesota. I don't know if it's because they've been dealing with like the injury bug. I don't know if it's because, you know, they're not as confident in their goalkeeper, but it feels like the minute that first goal goes in, they're pressing. It almost just seems like they're completely changing the way they play and they're just not, you know, like when I was watching them in the MLS's back tournament, it just seemed like there was a lot more confidence on the pitch. Like it just seemed like they were playing with, so like even if someone scored on them, even in the Orlando game, they never felt out of it. It never felt like that game was out of reach, but the Houston game, it just felt like as soon as that first goal went in, even though they were playing better, it felt very pressed. Do you think it has something to do with the fact that both of these games were in Texas? Both of them caused us to fly over there, and both of them made us look sloppy at the start. We, you know, when we were in the MLS's back tournament, we'd been there for a while. We kind of got acclimatized to where we were in the bubble and all that, and then we played. Whereas these two games, and I, and I hope this isn't a trend, but these two games, we fly in, we play a game the same day. We just look slow. We struggle in the first 10, 15 minutes. Like we just don't even look like we've kind of got acclimatized to the situation. And then suddenly we're almost already one nil down and then on the back foot. I don't know. You hear people talk about that a lot. Ob- obviously, we looked great last night and we were at home. Um, yeah. you, you know, we lost at home against Sporting Kansas City to open up phase one. But I, I didn't think it was. Yes, it wasn't our best performance, but it wasn't ugly the way that the Houston game was just absolutely ugly. I don't know. It's it's hard to say that. I know I would play really bad if it was 100 degrees outside. I know I would not be doing su- super well, but I'm also not a professional athlete. You hear the commentators talk a lot about these flying in the day of and then flying back home the night of. You hear about that and kind of that's the new home field advantage now that fans aren't around. But it's really hard to say not being a player if that's what's bringing them down. But And if you look at the score lines, like both times we f- flew away, we we lost and we didn't look good. And then Real Salt Lake, which we'll get to in a second, fly here and they don't score a single goal and they don't look that amazing in the second half. I, I was just kind of piggybacking off that point and not, you know, I watch, I, I watch as much of the loons as I can, but I don't know much about the rest of the league. What's the rest of the league look like in that regard? Is there a lot of home victories? Is that become more of the norm this season? People are talking about that, but I didn't I, I didn't think to look that up prior to prior to recording this. We'll have to explore that on the next next podcast in which 
phase one will be pretty close to wrapping up. So we'll have a pretty good sample size. I think that's a really interesting point is like MLS typically has a home field advantage that is higher of a higher rate than most other leagues around the world, whether it's because of the large travel distances or, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with you don't have large away sections either. So the the crowd is very loud in favor of the home team. I think it'll be very interesting to compare phase one of this return to play with 2019. I agree. And just having a quick, quick squiz, like from what I can tell, it's kind of still weighted towards home games, but I think it also has to do with how far people have to travel as well. Like, I think that definitely plays a part because well, if I look at the like yeah. away wins, those teams aren't traveling very far. Like, Portland beating Seattle or Philadelphia beating New York. Like that's not an overly large distance compared to like Minnesota flying to Texas. Right. Yeah. And our next away game is at Kansas city. That's like a 45 minute plane ride. That's a lot different. And it's in a climate more similar to what we're used to. Yeah. And, and I think it's going to be really interesting because our next game obviously is against Dallas. So it's the reverse, right? So when Dallas fly to us, it's going to be interesting to see if the same effect occurs for them as well, whether they're slow out the gate the first 10, 15 minutes, and if we can put a beat down on them, which I'm sure we can. We will see. I think the only other note worth talking about from the Houston game would be Emmanuel Reynoso finally makes his MLS debut as he subs in for Jan Grigish in the 71st minute. Guys, are we convinced that this deal has been finalized now? <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> right. Are we sure that that actually is Reynoso? And <laughs> Just some body double they sent from Argentina? I think it's good that he's there. I, th- I think it's official now. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I think it's he's official. one of us. But let's, let's move on. We talked enough about that ugly game that already happened a long time ago. Let's talk about our awesome game that we played last night. So line up against Real Salt Lake at Allianz Field on Sunday, September 6th. Again, we see a little bit of change uh, away from our default lineup. We have Dane St. Clair actually replacing Greg Ranjitsing in the goal. But we return to our typical back four with Gasper, Boxall, and Jose Aja returning in place of James Musa, and then Ramon Matinero over on the right. Ozzy and Gregish in the midfield. And then we have something way different than what we're used to. We have Molino starting on the left wing. Robin Lud switching across the field to start on the right wing, where they're joined by Emmanuel Reynoso for his first start as the number 10. And then we have Mason Toy starting on top over in injured Amaria. Our bench was Ranjit Singh Debasi, who we still have not seen make an appearance yet. Musa, Hayes, Dotson, Hairston, Edwards, and Chacon, who returned to the lineup after some form of an injury we didn't know much about. Of course, Ethan Finlay, Luis Amaria, and the Big Celery all missed the game with injuries. So as Amarillo missed a game with injury, do we know how severe this is? And are we already striking the 25 goals out of the equation? Or will he be back soon? So it sounds like it's been a lingering injury. We haven't heard a lot about it, but if you remember early in the MLS's back tournament, he injured like it was his abs or his groin or both or something. And Heath made mention that 
that injury has been lingering on Luis Amaria. I'm not sure when we're going to see him come back. I'm not sure how severe this is. Uh, he didn't emphasize that it could be multiple weeks the way he emphasized Ethan Finlay's injury could be. But the 25 goals doesn't look like it's going to happen. Mm. Well, and it's really, I think the frustrating part just in general with this season is we still haven't seen the full Minnesota United lineup. Like we haven't seen their best on the pitch. You know, we got the goalkeeper, our starting goalkeepers hurt. We're missing Ikapara. We haven't had Amarillo and Reynoso yet in the lineup. I mean, I know Reynoso's only been here for two games. You know, Finlay's hurt now. Like, it just seems like every time we get another piece or every time we feel like we're getting back to normal, we lose somebody else. So there's another injury. And it's almost, actually, when you think about it, this is, it's kind of both encouraging and discouraging at the same time. Like, it's encouraging knowing that you know, we have so much more to give when we're winning 4-0 and crushing a team who's been absolutely smashing it, but then discouraging knowing that we're losing 3 or 4-0 to teams that we probably could beat or at least give a good run for their money if we had the full squad. And I think it's good that our players get to play with a bunch of their other teammates rather than it just being the kind of the same 11 gelling. I think it's good that everyone's kind of getting to gel with each other and putting on these performances. But yeah, I agree. I'm very excited to see when we actually have the best <laughs> lineup that we can on the field, because uh, I think we can do some good things. I think one one thing to add, though, is, and you saw this with Real Salt Lake last night, is that you know Real Salt Lake, they were rotating in players. You did not see Real Salt Lake's full strength best 11 last night because they were keeping in mind that they have LAFC on the weekend. Or sorry, they have LAFC coming up just a few days later. So it's kind of like, yes, it sucks that we're not getting all of our players in at the same time. And for us, in our case, it has to do with injury. But also, like you're seeing teams around the league worry about game management and worried about rotating players. So we're not necessarily going up against everyone's best 11. While we don't have our own, the rest of the league is in the same boat as us. Yeah, I agree. But I'm, like I said, I'm looking forward to when everyone's not injured and we can actually field a full strength 11 at that one game or another. Well, See you in 2021 then, James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and really, like, I, I would love to see Amaria and Reynoso on the pitch together and, like, see what that combination looks like because. I mean, we've seen Amaria be dangerous, and I felt like even though obviously he didn't score a goal last night, Reynoso certainly made an impact in ball movement and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see them together. Yeah, had an assist. So getting into the game, I don't know about you guys, but I felt already in the opening minutes that our offense just appeared more active than they had been. We had a possession that was actually relatively equal to that of Real Salt Lakes. We actually saw our striker getting his feet on the ball early on. It just, it seemed better. I didn't think our passing, especially as we got closer to the box, I didn't think our passing was always the most spot on. You saw a lot of quick passes that aren't necessarily typical of Minnesota United, and that didn't always work. But it was nice to see our offense just appearing more explosive than they had been the past several games. 
I mean, I, I definitely think you think back to that early matchup with uh, Salt Lake in the MLS's back tournament. And it was just so like, it was boring soccer to watch. It was like sluggish and like it lethargic. Just, lethargic. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's certainly, Slow. and obviously like there was a lot of reasons for that when the game was the weather, all that stuff. But like, you know, the game started off and I'm like, I hope we don't see another performance like that. And it was nice to see our offense be a little bit more dangerous, I guess, for lack of a better word. I think it's good that, you know, our offense is getting confidence early because that's what it is. When you get, you know, when you're touching the ball, when you're pushing forward at the start of a game, you know, when in the last three games you've only scored two goals, I think it's it's really good at the start to really kind of get possession and, and push forward because it's giving you confidence. And I think while we didn't score in the first half, yeah, and later we'll talk about the second half, but I think the confidence that you they gained in that opening opening few minutes really helped longer term into the end of the game as well. Well, plus Dane St. Clair was allowed to ease his way into the game. He's allowed to not, you know, in both starts by um, Canadian Greg, he was under siege right away. Like he never got to ease his way into the game and that was problematic. So I think allowing your goalkeeper, especially since we have new goalkeepers and we're switching goalkeepers, it allows him to get into the game, get into the flow and like feel comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, Dane St. Clair, you know, he finishes the night with a clean sheet, but there were two especially <laughs> dangerous moments in the first <laughs> half. One, one we're not entirely sure wasn't like a Sheffield United Aston Villa type of situation where... The ball might have crossed the line, but just no one looked at it. (laughs) I don't know. I couldn't find, like, I looked to see if anyone credible was talking about if Dane St. Clair actually caught the ball behind the line and just brought it out. Does anyone have goal line? Do you guys have goal line technology or is it not made it over there yet? uh, I mean, we for sure have VAR. I haven't seen anyone have to use goal line technology. I don't know. I might have to look that one up. That was a weird play. It was just weird. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't even looked at. I know. Like it, <laughs> I know. That's the weird part. I was looking at it and I was like, oh, man. Oh, man. This is for sure in. And then, like, it just kind of was like, oh, play on. It's like, okay, well, we just, okay, we dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all good. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Play on. Kick it. It's all good. Well, and then later in the half, we we thought that Anuaha uh, appeared to score a goal, uh, appeared to score a, ni- a nice goal, but he was just barely offside. So, you, you know, you saw Dane St. Clair maybe get lucky twice early on and had those goals gone in. I don't know. Maybe the narrative of the game changes. Right now you have this narrative of Dane St. Clair ends the night with a clean sheet in his first career MLS start. Uh, but <laughs> he, he, that was maybe by just inches. Um, that Got to keep your elbows in, guys. Got to keep your elbows in. <laughs> yeah, I will say, though, on the uh, on the offsides replay, something I really appreciated as a just a general sports fan was, like, the referee went over, he looked, it's like, oh, he's offsides, and it was done. It was like a 15-second review. Like, it was so nice to, like, not be waiting for six hours to watch seven <laughs> different angles of a play that... The booth played. review. Right, like, it was just, it was nice. <laughs> Yes, offense to our friends across the pond. Maybe us Yanks have a little bit to teach you guys about football. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the Premier League barely even goes to the like to the sideline anymore. They just kind of like get it in the ear and then it's over with. So I feel like we could use a little bit more booth review time. Or at least a different yeah, guy noted. in the ear. <laughs> yeah, noted. <laughs> Probably the worst moment of this first half was in the 18th minute. I'm um, sorry, we're kind of hopping all around this half, not necessarily going in chronological order. But in the 18th minute, Hassani Dotson had to come on for an injured Ozzy Alonso. Not quite sure what the injury was. I saw his foot get a little bit nicked. I'm not sure if it was an ankle thing or what. We're fortunate to have a, a player of the caliber of Hassani Dotson that's able to come on when those things happen. But the half ends 0-0 with Minnesota actually enjoying about 54% of that possession. So, Sam, was it really? I mean, and this is a tough thing to say because everybody loves Ozzy Alonso. Like, he's you know, the veteran, like the stalwart in the middle. But like, I think that they looked like they even had a better step with Dots. I love Dotson. And I just think he brings an element. Ozzy sort of is Mike, the stabilizer back there. He doesn't, he doesn't really like have as much splash to him, but Dotson to me, like brings a lot more excitement into the, especially the offensive side of the ball. Well, I think you already answered your question. I think it's the stability that Ozzy brings that is what makes him so valuable, even in his advanced age for a footballer. Like <laughs> that, that that stability, like we've noticed it in the games in which he wasn't there. Now we didn't necessarily notice it tonight. We we didn't notice it tonight, actually, after those first uh ten minutes or so, I think Real Salt Lake only had like two shots on goal after the first 10 minutes or something ridiculous like that. Our defense was pretty stable. But typically in the games where Ozzy Alonso isn't playing, like the Sporting Kansas City game during the tournament is coming to mind, right? Like our defense didn't look stable at all. And we were lucky that we only let in one goal and somehow won the game. It's it's yeah. that stability that he brings. Yeah, and it's looking like Ozzy has a, a left hamstring injury, they think. So hopefully it's not too serious and he can uh, come back soon. But if if not, at least this podcast is very confident in Hassani Dotson, and I know the coaching staff at Minnesota United is as well. All right, fun first half, but the second half is where things really get exciting. Oh, can we can we just go back to the first half for one second? I want to talk about you. Want to talk about missing things uh, and referees? How did the referee not catch that that lodge shot was saved <laughs> with yeah. the dive to the corner? Like, <laughs> man. That was a good shot as well. It, it was a good shot. And is especially so soon after he had just this horrible cross. And we'll, we'll talk about Robin Lode a little bit later in the, in the episode. But Robin Lode, you know, is a favorite target of many disgruntled Minnesota United fans. So he has probably the worst cross I've seen at least this year, if not in the past 10 years. And, <laughs> you, you know, Minnesota United... Minnesota United Twitter is just all up in arms about Robin Lud, and just none of those tweets aged well. And we're going to get to that in the second half. <laughs> so it didn't take long for the second half to really get going. It was the 53rd minute. Reynoso takes a hit, man, but gets the ball off to Molino, who then sets up Gasper, who sprints in and rockets that ball into the back of the net for his first career goal. Love it. It was Love it. Really, really nice setup. And there, I mean, like you just saw 
I felt like you kind of saw the difference that Reynoso can make as well. I mean, that was a really that pass to like set everything up was was awesome. <laughs> and the experience knowing that you're like this is it, like the experience he brings, like knowing he's going to take the hit, but still doing the pass anyway and setting it up. That's actually really key for us going forward, just having that experience up there at number 10 as well. Yeah, and we were talking about in the first half, a lot of these quick little passes, you know, as you're getting close to the box and how they weren't necessarily connecting on them. This, I forget who initially, maybe it was Gregish initially got the ball to Reynoso. That was a quick pass. Reynoso quickly gets it to Molino, who then quickly gets it off to Gasper. It was just a bunch of quick passing and they connected on it. It was beautiful. And you're going to see that. Uh, you're going to see that a couple more times as this half goes on. Robin Lud, just eight minutes later, he makes it 2-0, which exciting to see. That was the start of making some of those tweets age horribly. Um, and then as it's 2-0, Ja'Cory Hayes actually comes on for Mason Toy. And there's speculation that this is Minnesota United switching to a more defensive formation. However, you didn't see Minnesota United let up on offense at all. No, it was, uh, no, I mean, we didn't let up at all. We were, uh, in fact, like, I think possession increased for us. Yeah. You know, and we, we were just way more relentless going forward. And yeah, I think even though, you know, we, we played a lot more offense and then we even sub Renoso off, uh, in the 71st for Raheem Edwards, which I think is fair enough. The guys just arrived in the country, like. A week or so ago, he's had only a few training sessions. And yeah, I think kind of putting Raheem Edwards on was also kind of where we got onto uh, goals number number three and four as well. Well, and, you know, keep in mind, we have another game on Wednesday that we need Reynoso for. So yeah, exactly. I, I'm glad he didn't play a full 90. I was really glad to see that they didn't take the foot off the gas because it kind of felt like, you know, when. Like you're watching a baseball team that's lost three or four in a row. And then all of a sudden they win a game like 13, 14 to nothing or something. And it's like that get better game where like things are working really well. So just like that's what it felt like. It just felt like things were going really well and they weren't they wanted to carry that momentum into the next game. So they just kept that momentum flying and they just kept putting pressure on Real Salt Lake. It just felt like there was sort of a statement being made in the way they were playing all the way through the second half. And they were confident. Yeah. That was one of the main things. Like they just looked confident. You know, you just wish you could have been there singing Wonderwall at the end yeah. because man, it was like, it was like that whole, that whole stadium was full. Like they were playing just amazing. And staying going and building that confidence. They were doing this with, you, you know, some of the players we consider to be rotational players. Right. So the, the third goal now, we're in the 74th minute. And, you know, Molino could have had a really nice shot off, uh, but, you, you know, his footwork just wasn't, wasn't right enough to make that shot. Uh, so he instead passes it. Uh, fancifully, by the way, passes fancifully with the little back heel flick thing. Yeah. Gives it back to Edwards again. And Edwards is able to find Hayes, who's able to make it 3 nothing. So on this play, of the three people involved, two of them are not, are not regular starters, um, not necessarily even players that get regular playing time. So that is great to see. That is great to see Edwards and Hayes getting in uh, on another goal. 
Yeah, and and it's I think uh, Raheem Edwards is playing playing a lot of FIFA because that's the FIFA goal. You run <laughs> down, then you just like tap it across to the middle, and then your striker scores. Yeah, I think it's also I think it's also really positive because it shows we have a lot of depth. If our rotational players are scoring goals and they're teeing each other up, I think you know, especially like you you guys already talked about, it's going to be a long season. We're going to play two or three games a week. You know, we're going. We're not going to always be against people's best teams, but if our rotational players are, are this good and are building this much confidence, I think it's really good for for the season ahead as well. I also I think it's a really positive step. I also really like the fact that it it really was unselfish play that got that goal. I mean, Molino easily could have taken that shot. Um, Edwards definitely could have taken that shot, yet he passed it off to Harris and and just took the easy tap in essentially. You just don't always see that. I mean, scorers want to score, right? And, you know, a guy like Edwards, who doesn't get a lot of opportunities, you wouldn't blame him for taking the shot there. So I was glad to see that on selfish play and, you know, just getting the goal. Yeah, and Ja'Cory Hayes probably doesn't score that many. No. Um, so also for him, it's also a nice confidence boost to put one in the back of the net as well. Yep. Yeah, he got one during the tournament. Well, then in the 83rd minute, uh, you know, another reminder about just how inches, right, can change the narrative of a game. In the 83rd minute, RSL had yet another goal called back offside. So forever, Dane St. Clair will have his MLS debut be considered a clean sheet for him. But I'm throwing this out there so we don't <laughs> overreact too much, is that it was close, okay? I mean... <laughs> Well, we we found our new goalkeeping star. He had a he had a clean sheet. It's amazing. So, yeah. I mean, Sam, you've brought it up a couple times. I mean, what did you think overall about how he looked and how the defense looked in general then? Because that is the big question, right? A lot of people said that because of Miller being out, the defense just looked out of sync. Did game flow sort of change that narrative anyway or I mean, cuz you've sort of brought that up to say maybe Sinclair didn't have that great of a game. Um, I guess I'm not really saying that he didn't have that great of a game. I was not someone that was very critical of Canadian Greg during the games he was in goal. I was critical of our defense as a whole, and he was part of our defense. But I just am bringing this up because these inches that Real Salt Lake's players had, right, they were just slightly offsides. and. That's not necessarily going to change. Like if they were just barely onside, for example, they're probably still getting to the ball and they're probably still making that shot. Yeah. We, we don't know if Dane St. Clair actually saved that ball from Rossi earlier in the game or if the ball crossed the line. We, we don't really know that based on the camera angles that we saw and based on the lack of review into that. The point I'm making isn't necessarily commentary on St. Clair. It's just more that cliche, this is a game of inches, right? I know that that's more of an American football uh, cliche of this is a game of inches, but very little things change this game big time. And we're talking about a 4-0 domination right now where we could actually be talking about a much more balanced game. Yeah, like they could have easily scored three goals, right? <laughs> that's, that's how it is in football, though. Sometimes it's centimeters or inches, whatever you want to call it, between the fact that you won 4-0 and 4-3. And, you know, like we say, 
it's always going to have that he had a an ML, uh, clean sheet on his MLS debut, right? So you take you take the wins where you have them. So guys, um, to wrap up this game, I think that this is actually going to lead to some really good conversation, and I'm interested to hear both of your perspectives on this. I did not put this in the notes. Y- you know, we were talking about earlier about after Robin Lude's horrible cross in the first half and about how he's been consistently, you, you know, a target of criticism by a loud group of Minnesota United fans. He scores in the 90th minute and it's a beautiful hook. Um, just an absolutely beautiful hook. It was, and again, it was quick passes by our players. It was Molino to Dotson to Lud, and Lud gets it in, makes it four zero. This is his second goal of the night and his fifth goal of still a relatively young season. Adrian Heath, after the match, was quoted saying, and you know, this is on Fox Sports North, so he was quoted saying this for everyone to hear. I've got to say that I'm pleased for Robin Lud because I want to put it out there that he is one of our players, by the way, not the opposition listening to some of the things that people write about him. So Adrian Heath really took a shot at a section of Minnesota United fans that have been very critical, possibly unfairly critical of Robin Lud since his signing in the middle of last season. So in reaction to the quote by Adrian Heath, I want to bring this up and kind of ask James how he feels this relates to the global game, whether or not this type of relationship between certain fans and the team is typical. I'm, I'm very curious to hear that. So Adrian Heath, there's, there's a section of Minnesota United fans that are very critical of Adrian Heath. Heath out is a popular hashtag for this section of fans. Um, I've seen custom shirts that say Heath out. I have seen signs that say Heath out. I've even seen custom jerseys that say Heath out. And adding on to that, you know, Robin Lud being one of Adrian Heath's guys, right? Being one of the guys that Adrian Heath has backed pretty, pretty strongly since Robin Lud's arrival in the middle of last season. Robin Lud of of this group is a is a popular target for criticism from this group. I'm going to add, like, Robin Lud was the highest, one of the highest paid players on the team last year, and he only scored one goal, and it was in the U.S. Open Cup. So it's it's not that none of the criticism was warranted, but overall, our fan base, or at least part of our fan base, has been very critical of Robin Lud, and this sometimes has been seen as possibly unfair. At times, I guess, and I'm kind of babbling here, but to just kind of make a long story short, at times it feels like a portion of our fan base and the team, or at least like the coaching staff and and the ownership, it seems almost as if the relationship is toxic, uh, where where you'll see, you, you know, you'll see Twitter fights between people who are connected to connected to the coach, such as Adrian, his son, and prominent supporters. Is this typical in the global game, James, or is this a Minnesota thing? I'm having a little bit of a hard time figuring this out. Yeah, well, as someone, yeah, and Jeremy knows this all too well. As someone who is an Arsenal fan, Heath out isn't the first coach that I've seen had a hashtag. Uh, Venga out was a hashtag for a very long time. I don't think it's a Minnesota thing. I think 
especially with the new age of social media, I think it's very easy for fans to jump on bandwagons like Wenger out, like Heath out. You know, and I think you know a lot of fans aren't. Yeah, and I don't know if it's the same in the MLS, but I know in Europe, fans aren't used to like not having success for a long time. You know, Arsenal, we made the Champions League for, what was it, like 20 seasons or something in a row. You know, and then we started not making it. And when you don't make it, it's very quick for your fan base to turn against you because at the end of the day, the buck stops with the manager because the manager's putting the, you know, the players on the field. He's trying to find draft, like, um, transfer targets and the MLS is draft targets as well. I think it's very easy for people to to think that if we get a new manager, everything will be fine, right? Like we we get a new manager and you see it. You see clubs, they hire a new manager and suddenly they start winning games. And it's like, oh, we just we just needed to change something to bring it like that fresh thing to get it going. But it doesn't always work like that. And I think, you know, someone like Adrian Heath, knows what he's doing and, you know, is bringing that kind of English aspect to the MLS, right? So it's kind of, it's tough for him because he's in a different country and he's trying to bring a league that simply doesn't yet have the prestige that the Premier League and La Liga and the Bundesliga have. So, yeah, and I don't think that American fans are giving him as much credit as they could be and how much that how much he sees that i mean obviously he sees it a bit if he's going to comment like this but yeah that was the next thing that that was the next thing i wanted to have you touch on is is it normal for a coach to fire shots back like we've seen his son fire shots on twitter like we we've seen his son fire shots back but that's his like 20 something year old son is it normal for the coach himself to get on the microphone and fire shots back on a critical portion of the fan base on live TV? I mean, I wouldn't put it past coaches. I mean, I'm fairly sure that Mourinho would have done it once or <laughs> twice. Mourinho is not the kind of person to take stick. Generally, no. Like, I don't think a lot of managers really get at their fan base. But I think sometimes, sometimes you need to especially if they're like railing on this guy who yeah only played a handful of games last season and didn't it, it was more than a handful but i forget how many games lud played but lud was a pretty prominent fixture of the lineup for i'd say the second half of the season and only scored one goal but y- you know the the argument for that was that he was still getting his feet under him right like he was still getting the hang of the league um getting to know the getting to know the team being introduced to the tactics, all that. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, as a total side point, Wikipedia hasn't been updated since August last year, so it only looks like he's played a handful of games when I talked. Oh, sure. <laughs> it was like six games. I was like, okay. Anyway, back to your point. Yeah, like, yeah, I think it's about, like, if your coach has confidence in you, that's like the biggest thing for a football player. Even if your fans are, are ribbing you, like, as long as your coach has confidence in you, that can build up confidence in yourself. 
And yeah, he had a horrible cross, uh, which he and everyone else knows that he can do better than that. But then to come back from that, have have a really good shot at goal, and then score twice, that shows a mental fortitude that I think fans should be giving him credit for. Because it would be so easy for someone like him to have this awful cross and imagine what all the people are saying about him and then drop his head and play a terrible second 45 minutes. But like, so here's here's my issue with this. I actually don't like Heath coming out and calling the fan base out like that because, I mean, that sort of is what it is to be a fan, right? The fact is, is like we get to pretty much like talk to trash and like, I mean, how many times for you for Arsenal or for, for the Packers or whatever, (laughs) where even the best player on the team has a terrible game and you're just out there slamming them on social media or this guy sucks or whatever it might be, or even just in your living room to your friends, these guys are professional athletes. They got to have thick skin in order to do the job that they do. And like for Heath to come out and like make a shot at the, at the supporters is just petty to me. Like that's the way I look at it. Like, it's just like, what is it accomplishing? I don't think anybody's going to sit there and listen to that and go like, oh, Adrian Heath is right. I should be nicer. Like, <laughs> if anything, if anything, it's going to make it worse. Yeah. But, but but this is it. Like, for him, it's not about the fan base. It's him publicly supporting Robin Lud. And but if, that's Robin more Lud th- doesn't, if Robin Lud doesn't know how Adrian Heath feels about him anyway, like, that's on Heath in a completely different way. Like, you know, my boss doesn't need to write me an email that says, like, thanks for taking your bathroom break on time you know, or whatever, like, just so I know that I'm doing a good job. Like, I know that I'm performing my job correctly or that even when I make a mistake, like, it's okay to make mistakes. And I don't need it pointed out to me by my boss. I should know how my boss feels about me. I just, I don't know. I know it's a different world. I'm a teacher. He's a professional athlete. No one's tweeting about you know how my <laughs> lesson went. So it's different. But like, I just don't think to. I don't think it matters to Robin Ludd. I don't think he cares what the supporters are saying about him. What if he does? I mean, we we don't know. Like, true. He, he hasn't he hasn't come on the pod. Open invitation, Robin Ludd. If you ever want to come on the pod, you know, come on down. But maybe it does really bother him, and maybe that. Maybe that's why Adrian Heath is doing this. I don't know. And as a side note, Sam, Justin didn't come on the pod today because he didn't want to praise Robin Ludd because he's always slamming him. <laughs> One more reason that Justin, I mean, just let's just, I mean, Justin's a coward. I just, you know, what am I going to say? <laughs> we need, we need Justin and Robin Ludd on the same page. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't say that Justin is in this um, group of Minnesota United fans that have been critical of Robin Ludd. And, and just to be clear, I'm not saying everyone go buy your Robin Lud jersey right now. He's the greatest player we have. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you can never critique the play of Robin Lud. You, you know, for example, uh, several episodes, our friend, uh, our the other Jeremy, our other friend of the Jeremy, sorry, not our friend other of friend Jeremy. of the Jeremy, Jeremy. Our, <laughs> other, our other friend of the show named Jeremy of 10K Pitches, I thought he had a great analysis on Robin Lud and how he thought he'd be more successful playing in a different position, either playing central or, you, you know, possibly even playing on the right, which is what he did last night and how that might suit him better than playing on the left because he just looks awkward on the left. There's nothing wrong with 
you, you know, critiquing the play of a player or asking questions. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I would like to ask Keith, if Robin Lud looks like this when he plays on the right, why haven't we tried this before? Right? Like, that's, that's a, a question. question. <laughs> I, I think that that's a very no. fair question. I think that that's okay to ask fair questions. But last year, it was going as far as, you know, people saying that Robin Lud shouldn't be protected prior to the expansion draft and that Nashville or Miami should just be able to pick up Robin Lud in the expansion draft. And like, I thought that went a little bit too far, like to just throw out a player that you invested so much in after half a season when, you, you know, he does, he does have a resume of success w- with the Finnish national team and, you, you know, playing in Spain and, and things like that. I, I was like, okay, that, that's unfair criticism, right? Like that's being a little extreme, suggesting that he's in the wrong position and you know, asking questions to try to figure out why we keep playing him in that position if it's not his strong suit. Like that that's more fair to me. I don't know. But like criticism's gonna come. Like to me, as long as you're not like taking shots at the man's family or making like personal threats at him, yeah. like criticism's gonna come in all the extremes. No matter what you have you have extreme views, right? So like there are probably people who really did feel like getting rid of him was the best option and they're entitled to have that and express that opinion. And I just don't think like the manager coming out and saying like, come on guys, he's one of us be nicer. Like that's what it felt like to me. That's what it feels like. It's just like, come on guys. Like, I don't know. I I mean, I, I listened to that live. I didn't necessarily, I thought it had more teeth than just saying, Oh, shucks. Come on. I know, but like, (laughs) Oh yeah. Like it, it, it was it was much more uh there was much more like jackassery in it. Like but you, you know, James made the Mourinho comparison. Like I loved Mourinho when Chelsea was doing well. Like I loved Mourinho and I didn't realize it at the time, but I kind of felt that same way hearing Heath say that last night. Like it's not bad to have a little jackassery on your team every now and then. Like it can be kind of entertaining, but I, I agree. Like being a professional athlete means that you are under a microscope and it means that criticism is going to come your way, fair or not. I, I do agree with that. Thank you for that point, Jeremy. Well, we're getting towards the end of the show, but may, maybe we make this quick. We don't want to do a show without our award-winning segment, the Big CF, our big club day football, where we talk about the impact of coronavirus or just 2020 in general on the sport that we love. And sometimes it's nice to just kind of, you know, peek in what are the other sports doing? Because more or less the leagues are following each other's lead, learning from each other, seeing what works, what doesn't. Jeremy, do you have any insight on how the NFL season, how you see this going? I know it starts on Thursday, but what could you tell us about that? So a couple things. One, it seems like the NFL is kind of coming up with, they don't have one yet, but they are sort of compiling information to come up with contingency plans. If once the league year starts, then suddenly all the the positive tests go up and they do have to think about moving weeks or canceling weeks. So it sounds like that's something that's already in place and that they're moving towards. 
The one thing I will say is this, and this is sort of something I've been thinking about a lot when like looking at why the NFL has done such a good job of keeping their numbers so low. I think they've only had two or three positive tests since the initial, what was it, 60, I think 67 positives came in the entire league. And there was a point in time where they had zero players on the COVID list. And I was like, why is it that the NFL is not in a bubble, but having this success? And I think it all comes down to an NFL player's career is not like, I mean, you don't generally play 15, 20 years like you can in some of these other sports. And some of these guys, the average lifespan, I think, of a player is a three-year lifespan. And I know, like, you see guys like Brady and stuff, and they have a much longer lifespan. But these players know that, like, to get their checks and to get their money, they got to do it right. And so, like, I think a lot of the players in the NFL are making the choice to, like, self-police themselves so that there isn't a major outbreak in the camps and on the teams so that so that they can make sure that they're getting their paycheck and making sure that the league happens. And I think like even the like players that you've seen put on the COVID list, most of them have not tested positive themselves, but are on because of either a family member testing positive or, you know, in like John Ross's case, he chose to take a leave from the team so he could take care of a family member. Um, so like there's just, they've, I just think self-police themselves to the point. And I think there are veterans in the locker rooms that are saying, if you're not going to follow these guidelines, we don't want you here. And that's pretty much the way they're handling it. So I think if they continue to have that in-house protocol, especially now that you got the cut downs, there's no more guys that are like fringe roster guys. You got your 53, you got your practice squad. Like now let's see how well they maintain that order now that camp's winding down and the season's starting. Thank you for that insight. You know, I know on this show several weeks ago, Justin and I were thinking about the large roster sizes for for football. And we were more talking about college, right? So we were more talking about frat houses and keg stands and all that kind of stuff. But we just saw the large roster sizes and we're like, someone's going to screw up. And to hear that, to hear that, you know, people are taking things seriously, people don't want to jeopardize anything, for the good of the team, that that is kind of cool. That was, you know, especially when we were hearing about baseball players like sneaking out of their hotel or baseball players going to the casino or whatever. Like, I just did not have high hopes for the NFL. Um, well, and on that and that's point, the rub, right? Like, we haven't started traveling yet. Sure. So that's the rub. Can they still handle it when they get to fly into Miami? Did Did you also hear that uh, two England players? Uh, England football team players got sent home for bringing girls back to their hotel <laughs> today uh, from the those, Nations League. Those Icelandic girls, man. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Those Icelandic think, girls are trouble. It just it happened to, I think, a hockey player also just recently got in trouble for the same thing. It just goes to show you, like, there's a lot of things, like, you can, like, be disciplined in a lot of things, but there's something about women, man. They'll uh, they'll get you every time. <laughs> yeah. Ever since that stupid apple, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I think that just looking at it overall, I think that it's all going to depend on the discipline of the players. You can't keep 70 guys plus another, let's say, 25, 30 coaching staff. You can't keep them in a bubble. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I think if they have to go to a bubble system, it, it's going to be really tough to um, to move forward. So it, I think it's protocols are going to have to be in place. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen any of Hard Knocks this year, but it's been a really nice, like, sort of um, introspection into, like, how they're handling everything and in team meetings to testing to everything. And it's, it's um, they're, they're taking it serious, you know, and sometimes you worry about whether or not they're going to. You know, my concern is, I mean, like, they're planning on having fans at this Kansas City-Houston game. And now you're bringing a Crazy. whole other stupid element into it. And I don't agree with that at all. I think you just shut the fans things down for at least this season. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully, you know, I spent a lot of time and effort uh, putting a lot of things in place for this season, fantasy-wise. And, you know, always my... I, I live and breathe Green Bay Packer football, so um, I don't know what will happen to me if football gets taken away. So uh, hopefully it will uh, maintain maintain its uh, its current progress. All right. Well, guys, we had a little extra long episode today. Not too much longer than normal, but it's always a good conversation when James and Jeremy are on the pod, along with Nate, our frequent contributors. Coming up next, we have Dallas coming to Allianz Field on Wednesday, September 9th. And then the following Sunday, we go to Kansas City on September 13th. Of course, that would have been a game I would have loved to go to because I love Kansas City. I love barbecue. I love everything about that city. So I am disappointed that I'm not making it down there, but hopefully next year. You mean we're playing Kansas City again, Sam? Oh, yeah, because we're still in phase one, okay? We're still in phase one, so, like, the teams were relatively uh, were relatively compact. We've pretty much been playing the Western Conference teams that are from the middle of the country. We haven't, we haven't gotten any of the West Coast teams yet or any of the Canadian teams yet, so... I'm excited. I think uh, I think it'll be a good test to see the reverse leg, like having Dallas come here, seeing if they have the same effect, see if they're sluggish out of the gate, see if they struggled like we did as well. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that happen. Well, guys, thank you for coming on. I hope you have a great week. Jeremy, I hope, you know, this crazy school year continues to go well for you. Justin, best of luck tomorrow. Any other teachers who might be listening, you know, best of luck. I, I really like that meme that was going around social media about this is national leave a bottle of wine on the teacher's step uh, week. <laughs> you know, <laughs> any teacher in your life, be nice to them. But I'll flip that and say, you know, any parent in your life, be nice to them. Because from interacting with our parents, I can tell that this is this is hard on them, too. You know, just it's more than just being like, oh, my kids are home all the time. It's more than that. You're if you're a parent and you have kids that are at home. You're, you're trying to maintain their educational progression during such a weird year. So be nice to those parents that are in your life. Be nice to those teachers that are in your life. Just well, be nice to everyone. Be nice to Robin Ludd. Be nice to <laughs> and, and Sam, I'm sure 
you know, that uh, Justin's students probably listen. I'm sure Justin has told them all about his podcast. So he hasn't even they, told his mom about the podcast. Uh, <laughs> maybe they could give us some feedback about how extra special his lessons were since he wasn't on the podcast today. <laughs> he put so much time and effort into them. Yes. <laughs> well, I want to say thanks again for uh, having me on, Sam. And uh, it's always good to have uh, two Arsenal fans in the same podcast. Well, I'd rather have you guys than Nate, who's cheering for Tottenham. Ugh, we all have our faults. Some are bigger than others. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. All right, guys, until next time, pot on you loons. Pot on you loons. Pot on you loons. Peace out. Peace.